Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Olga Cremon, welcome to my podcast, The Undraped Artist. It's really an honor to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. It's so, to be here. So we obviously know each other, um, but I would like to hear, um, I would like you to talk a little bit about your background. Where did you come from um, and how did you get into an art field? Oh, gosh. Um, so I, I was born in Ukraine, but I lived in Russia for you know, for the first 17 years. And we have a very structured sort of atelier type program for four years that you go through. Um, so that's, that's what I, you know, graduated from. So I always wanted to do it. I was always in it, but I, um, once I graduated, I thought, you know, it was the eighties in Russia, you know, who wants another artist in Russia at that time? So I just kind of put everything aside and I thought I was going to just have a normal, normal life and normal, you know, um, uh, normal career. So I came to the U.S. in 91. So in 94. And why did you come to the U.S.? What motivated that? It was a complete, uh, well, accident is not the word. I, um, I represented my university. I studied English and uh, German, I guess, at the university. And my university sent me to compete in Moscow just to represent them to, uh, there were like five of us going. And I won the competition. And the, um, the award was 10 months in uh, a liberal arts college in, uh, in the States. Oh. And that's what I ended up in North Carolina. I ended up in Davidson College because they picked me and another another guy from this program. So it was a student exchange program for one year. Okay. When I was there, uh, I was very fortunate to get a full scholarship to continue and to graduate. As I was studying, the Soviet Union split up. Um, so I, I realized I have very little to come back to, and my parents decided to emigrate as well. Mm. So the very, and it, it, it was a very unstable time where I was not sure if I was making the right decisions, but there was nowhere to go back to, I guess. I couldn't go back to Odessa where I'm from. I couldn't back to Kazan where I grew up in Russia. Uh, it was a different, they were different countries at the time, you know, everything mm -hmm. just came apart. You know, if you think about it, like when I was leaving for, I came here in 91 and I came here in August 91. It was during the day of the coup where Gorbachev was taken. So I was in Moscow on my bags with like tanks on the street. It was just, art was the last thing I was thinking about. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Art was over. Art was always an escape. Art was always a way to to be very good at something else and and not be in the real life. So art and reality were two different things for me. 
for the very long time, and maybe even today to to, mm -hmm. to a point. Um, and 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 maybe that's why when I finally realized that I belong there, it was through that escapism. Like I had to, I had to be somewhere else, and 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 that's how I got back to it. And and I guess I never actually quit. I just did it for myself without anybody even knowing what I was doing. I was just kind of. You know, it, it it was it was more than a hobby, way more than a hobby. It was a way of survival or therapy, but it was not a career. Yeah. For the very for a very, very long time. And I don't know if it's right or wrong. I mean, I wish I had all those years, you know, back that I could create, you know, much more and be much more ahead. At the same time, you know, there is a place or there is a there is a reason for everything. Like yeah. I keep telling myself, okay, I I was able to build a foundation. One, I was able to build a foundation where I could afford to jump into a career in art. Two, I was much more. I've done something else. I've done corporate life for a long time, so I have something to compare to. And I assure you, it's not the money that I went into this career for. There is, um, I can compare this job with normal corporate jobs. And I can tell you, this is a much, much harder path for people. Yeah. I don't think, you know, youngsters who are just out of MFA or, you know, atelier, I don't think they know just what what is out there. And I, I guess I'm... I made that choice. It was a conscious choice. It was not because I couldn't do something else. It was because I had to do this. Yeah. Uh, and, and how old were you when you made this choice? When you made the switch? That? How old were you when you made this switch? So I would say I became very serious about it after 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. uh, 2007, I... I I remember that year because that's the year that I spent in uh, Jeremy Lipkin's uh, Tuesday night classes mm -hmm. and Rubik's classes, who was his drawing teacher. Um, so I, 2007 was my, and 2008 when, when I was dedicating every moment of time, you know, getting back and, and really being serious. And then I think it was 2010 when I started to get... Uh, my first Portrait Society uh, awards and et cetera, getting national, uh, international, into the national shows, et cetera. So I would say 2010 and onwards is when I consider myself being in this career. However, that said, I had a full-time until uh, job in corporate in IT, I managed IT projects for a very long time. Um, and that happened uh, until 2017. So 2010 through 2017, I literally led a dual life. I was in uh, in everything that, you know, I wanted to get into. Uh, but I, one, I didn't know how to jump. Two, it's a scary thing to do. And three, I just needed to build up. Yeah. Um, you know, like, so I got into galleries first and then I made a decision that, yes, this is the right time. I was waiting for the right time, but that meant, that meant nights, weekends, every moment of time. You, you just, 
you basically just don't do anything else. You just have your job and then you have this mm -hmm. and, and, and take care of the kids. That's the what I'm going to say, but you also had a family. So you were living three lives. A three. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, maybe that's partially why I got divorced during that time too. I just couldn't, there are certain things that had to give, I yeah. guess, but I, I knew that that's who I was and, uh, I just wish I knew it earlier because, and, and you know, you can't go back. I mean, those experiences are great experiences and I loved, I loved the projects that I've, that I've done and I've loved the people that I worked with and I loved the discipline that, that, you know, taught me, uh, there are so many things that, uh, that I'm very grateful for. Um, but this was my path. Now, my path was to try everything else and to try to get away from it. And I guess, you know, if you, if you meant to do this, you just absolutely cannot do anything else. I mean, yeah. you can, you know, people can, can, and they can make money and they will be absolutely unhappy. And that's what I was for a very long time. Right. So I had, I had to do what I had to do. Yeah. So when you say you can't do anything else, you don't mean as far as your capability, you mean as far as your happiness. My happiness. Right. I was, uh, it was harder and harder to leave actually, because your career there is picking up and you're comfortable and you are, you know, at that point I had a team of project managers, you know, we had what, 60, 65 projects going on at once. You know, it was a, it was a very comfortable time. I worked for DirecTV and then it got my, uh, merged with AT&T at the time. And, uh, hmm. we had very interesting projects, you know, I've done Teradata upgrades and, uh, you know, uh, revenue insurance projects, you know, everything else, but, but, but it was missing, like something was missing and it took me a very long time to find out that this is what was missing. And I was also for that period of 2010 to through 2017, uh, as I was getting into the art world, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I ever even mentioned it to anybody. I was, I was a bit embarrassed to be uh, like, I felt like I'm not a real artist that I'm getting into this group of real full-time artists. And I am sort of not, telling the full story, you know, and I'm, um, so it took me a while even mentally to get, to get there. And I wanted to be sure that I am there. Like, I didn't want to just quit everything. I, I mean, I, I couldn't just quit everything and just dive into it and see what happens. I had to be sure that I can, I can actually, um, see myself doing it and I can work with the galleries and I can work with you know, uh, with the dealers and such. So mm -hmm. with the collectors. Um, so I, I felt, I mean, I don't know, that was my path. Um, I hmm. guess everybody does it differently, but yes, I would love to get some of those years back. So. Yeah. But how much did you paint during those years? Um, I painted quite a bit, but I guess there was no pressure to, to create a painting that week. Right. I had a painting where I worked on the painting for six months, to be honest, but it was a large full-time, full-time 
painting and uh, uh, I had a 20 by 20 painting, I remember, because that was my first Portrait Society finalist, where it was five weekends, but it was weekends from 8 a.m. to, you know, to 5 p.m. with the model. Um, wow. And you did that while raising but, kids and having a full-time job? Um, yeah, but... Wow. Ironically, you know, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, once I... Once I divorced, it was that 50-50, and in that 50% of the time that you have. Yeah. So, um, it, was, it, was, it was a very strange time, but, but I wanted it so badly. I, I, was almost, I was almost obsessed. I think now looking back, I, I, uh, I almost had to get my time back, like reverse the time and... and but I, I think I did it the right way. I, I, I loved, I loved certain artists. Actually, that's when I discovered your work. Oh, is it? Way before we met. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was either through International Artists Magazine. There was something about you, I think, in the Portrait Society. And, uh, and then I discovered Jeremy, and I learned that Jeremy was right here. And that was a blessing. It was, it, I, I got so fortunate. He doesn't do that anymore. And you know, Jeremy, he doesn't talk. So you can't, you can't say it's a class. You paint there with the same model. And that's exactly what I wanted. I don't want him to, to speak. I want to see how he's doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, Glenn Orbick, who unfortunately passed away, he was Jeremy's uh, drawing teacher. So before I went to Jeremy's, I actually went to, to uh, study with Glenn uh, in Thousand Oaks, and and that was invaluable, um, and and yeah, I, I and I and I feel like, and that's what I see with the, uh, the students coming to my workshops. You have to get the drawing first. So you cannot come mm -hmm. to the porch class without without that. And yes, I had the the years of training in Russia, but I had to. You know, I had to get back to it, and 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 I remember, and it's funny, I remember the first time that I entered that Thousand Oaks um, uh, uh, studio that doesn't exist anymore, and again he passed away. But I remember coming in there for the first time and inhaling. And after all these years of not being in a studio and not being in an art school, inhaling. The charcoal and inhaling that smell of the wood of the easels and and I almost cried like I honestly <laughs> it was kind of it was that blast from the past and I just felt like okay this is it like that's my smell that's you know you know I get emotionally I you know when I remember it right now I get emotional because that like I inhaled and I just knew like I. I just knew that this is it and hmm. I never thought so yeah but so, uh yeah so one thing you mentioned earlier is that you felt like an imposter when you started um did that ever go away and I'll, I'll and the reason I ask you that is because I've been painting for 20 years professionally and I sometimes still feel that way <laughs> um I'm glad you disclosed it because it's easier for me to say yes uh, 
we are up and down, up and down all the time. You know, there are people that are this and we are this. And maybe to create, you have to be that. Um, you know, how unfortunate for people around us. But but that's sort of, if I if it flows, I'm here. If it doesn't, I'm here. And especially with Instagram and you start looking at paintings and you start looking at, oh my gosh, this is... This is amazing, and and that's where I have that feeling again. Yes. Yeah. 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 And nowadays, with yeah, with the social media, it's just like you realize. I mean, I was looking through my social media yesterday to find out who I wanted to interview, and mm -hmm. I mean, it's just endless. I mean, granted, there are eight billion people in the world, right? So you're going to expect to find a thousand artists, but at the same time, it's you know when I was young. And all I had was Barnes and Noble. There might have been four or five living artists make producing books, and that's all you thought was out there, right? <laughs> and now but it's how, just like there's so many out there. We're so fortunate, and there's so much. I mean, every other day I discover new, amazing. Whether it's an artist or a photographer, photographers influence me quite quite a bit as well. You know, compositionally or the way they crop or. And, and and the simplicity of some of those pieces, that's what that what that's what amazes me. I think we over complicate so much. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I look at Zorna Sargent and especially if I squint, it's such a such a simple pattern of light mm -hmm. and dark. And 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 I keep going back to maybe it's the illumination. It's not how much we put in, it's how much we take back and how much we don't say that, that amazes me sometimes. And, and, and maybe I, I know we're going, like I'm going on a tangent, but, um, but that's what attracts me in so many of uh, Instagram artists. And it's so easy to connect now as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so easy to message somebody and all of a sudden, you know, they've been following you for a while. You were following them for a while. It's all, I feel like I'm social. I'm not, you know, I might not see that many people, but I feel like, you know, through that, it's it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And, but, but with that, do you have, do you have this feeling? You see so much that once in a while you feel like, you feel like you are painting and all of a sudden you're remembering, wait a second that pose or I saw that down to a stroke somewhere am I am I unique or am I taking it from somebody without even thinking oh and absolutely that, and it blocks me right absolutely yeah it, yeah especially if your desire is to really be authentic and to be yourself which I think you and I would agree it's impossible to be truly unique, right? Otherwise we'd all be just scratching symbols in the dirt, you know, or on cave walls. I mean, we're borrowing from people before us. Um, but it's some, yeah, but I agree with you knowing where that line is, is sometimes difficult for how, you know, where the line is between between originality and just ignoring all the good things that came before us. Um, yeah, sometimes it's tricky. So, cause I, I mean, I'm sure you have many influences, um, in your work. 
Although I got to be honest, I can't pinpoint them. Many people I can pinpoint their influences. So that's, that says something for you. I'm looking at your work and I can't see what your influences are. So that says a lot about, you know, this subject. You're clearly not, at least I haven't seen the artist you're looking at if there is one or two that you're, that you're borrowing from. So that's a good thing. But all of us have influences and, and knowing where to, where that healthy place is between borrowing and stealing from, from those, it's, it can be difficult. Yeah. Especially with all this information, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am trying to find a way of n not overthinking it because that's where all of a sudden my creative process just kind of becomes stagnant. Like I can be halfway, you know, somewhat through a painting and then all of a sudden I have that noise in my head, like, wait a second. I, I think I remember that photographer who had a model in that diagonal space or whatever, whatever it is. And, and all of a sudden I am, you know, obsessed a bit with that and I'm trying to find it and trying to, to make sure that I'm not, I'm not quite, but you're right. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible not to have those images in your head. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, you, you're looking at it every day or, or uh, who were the the French, were they the naturalists who were trying to just kind of go back to naive, naive art and trying to get away from society and such, but, that, but that's another extreme, I guess. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, so how do you, I want to back up a little bit, um, because this is something that I, like I said, I deal with this too. We, I think most creative people do which is uh, why our, our spouses have a hard time living with us. But <laughs> so how do you cope? How do you deal with those ups and downs in your art? And maybe you could describe them a little more and what you mean by that, because I think there are people out there that are new to this field mm -hmm. that probably don't think it's normal, you know, but the more I've, I've, every artist I've talked to deals with this. So how do you, how do you cope with those ups and downs and what are they like? Um, I wish I had a good answer. Mm -hmm. I just keep going to the easel and just making my, myself, uh, just continue, I guess, because, um, it doesn't work in this profession. It doesn't work to wait for inspiration or whatever. Who was it that said like my inspiration hits every day in the morning when I sit down in front of my canvas. That's, that's, uh, I think the biggest thing is to kind of push yourself when you're down, push yourself together and, 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 and go there and, and just be there. Um, I am trying to make myself not destroy as much when I am down because especially I would say even, I cannot blame the COVID time, but it was something about, uh, a last couple of years where I noticed that I wipe off too much without, without just leaving it be, without letting it be there for two or three days and then coming back to it. I think that I need, you know, somebody just to take, take it away from me the right time, I guess. So but, do, you, uh, 
Do you mean yeah. you just, you sort of panic? You look at something, you're like, that's not good. And you wipe it before you live with it. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. So that is something that I am very conscious of. And I, um, but you, but you know, you, you don't want to create just a painting. You want to create a painting that, that has the emotion, that has that feeling. And if you just don't feel it, um, but, but yeah, there were some, some of them where I fortunately took a photo and then I looked back and I said, well, if I just waited for a week, I think I could have. Oh I no. Yeah. So. But at the same time, at the same time, it was, it, it can be a liberating experience to, to just to let yourself start, start again. Um, so that's, that's how I think I need to deal with the down somewhat. And I'm trying to um, let my kids know that, hey, I am in that sort of mode right now, you know, something didn't go uh, and so, so, so I can isolate myself more, I guess, because mm -hmm. I become a little too, uh, um, too abrupt to, you know, still a good person, but, you know, but, but in my head, mm -hmm. um, uh, and then when. And another thing that helps a lot is just simply to pick up a call and call either an artist friend. I called you one time. If you yeah, remember. that was a great conversation. Yeah, and and after that, it it almost like it smoothed down that that thing for me. Um, and and I think that we can really definitely help each other as well. Or I pick up a phone and I or I text uh, my gallerist. Like one of my favorite people to work with is uh, Jason Stone from Reinhardt Fine Art in Charleston. Um, and I've been working with them for so long. And sometimes it's just a conversation with them. And then you realize, hey, we just had a collector who just fell in love with this painting. And all of a sudden, you know, you you ride that wave again. Yeah. Yeah. You get, a, you get a little that boy. <laughs> yeah. But whoever's listening right now, don't think that we're, you know, we're not, you know, mental. <laughs> well, speak for yourself. <laughs> we're talking normal, you know, normal thing. You know, we just don't go and, uh, you know, I don't know, splurge on purses and stuff. You know, that's, that's the, stupidity we do not do we we deal with it creatively and we you know we find ways and and honestly you have to sort of like those downs as well because sometimes that's when my best ideas come as well it's hmm. almost like that curve and on this curve is where i find something new that what if i introduce abstraction into it what if i put more, more knife work into it what would it i i'm allowing myself to experiment so much more it's kind of um do you have this where you feel like your painting doesn't go the way you want and you think okay well it's probably not going to work out anyway now i can do whatever now it's not a commission or it's not a piece for a gallery now I'm free. I have and thought that, yeah. Right? And when that freedom comes, all of a sudden your your hand goes because mm -hmm. you 
you're not you're allowing yourself to have that freedom and it can be on those curves that it happens do you have this oh or? absolutely oh. in fact you know i kind of learned the hard way recently um i've done a lot of commissions over the past i'd say 10 years and um, i've always had complete creative control i'm going to put that in quotes here because I believed I had complete creative control, but I learned something about myself that um, because a project got canceled recently and I was halfway into it, then it got canceled. And then all of a sudden I started finding myself being more relaxed with the painting. So even though I dictated the terms of the painting, I still did. I apparently I was still confined, but it was, it was sort of this self. I mean, it, it was, I was doing it to myself the pressure of knowing that there was someone waiting for it reduced my ability to be completely open and creative and free. Um, so I've kind of committed to not take many commissions. I mean, I'll take the really, really interesting ones, but um, not as many, at least not for a while. So yeah, I totally, totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I totally understand that. Yeah. Totally so, um, Let's look at a little bit at your work now, because you've described some things that you said, like the knife work and all that stuff. So let's pull some of it up. And I want to talk, well, I'm going to just skim through it a little bit here. Um, God, these are so cool. Is there some place in particular you want to start? Uh, you, uh, any, any, anywhere you click, I guess. Um... Okay. This is, uh, this is interesting. I just actually put that page up this week because that's uh, a brand new gallery that I'm starting to work with. Okay. The, is uh, it the White Whitethorn Gallery in Ireland? Oh, in Ireland. No kidding. Yeah. It's going to be brand new. My friend Alda Balding is uh, working with them for, for a long time, and uh, he was the one that recommended and connected us and so they are literally arriving there tomorrow uh but but it's a good one because this is brand new pieces good uh good. in the last couple of months so this is um i'm looking for a title of the piece here okay so how do you pronounce that marigny marigny so this marigny? is a area it was the area in new orleans oh, uh, that okay. had as jazz scene and I, I just went there for the first time this year uh, with a friend and so that kind of inspired so that was the inspiration and then also I just discovered Chad Baker uh, this year um, oh okay and, and the, that quiet that quiet jazz that sort of you know that my funny valentine kind of well, Bye. so for those who are listening and not watching, it's it is a jazz, it's a trumpet player, and he's leaning over his trumpet. It looks like maybe taking a break from from playing, and it's incredibly loose, just really energetic, beautiful strokes. Um, wide, I mean, in the coat, it, there's almost nothing there but a wash, and it looks like a big fan brush or something. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I then was... the trumpet, it's just like the end of the trumpet is like 10 strokes max. And it still feels like glistening copper or glistening brass. Um, beautiful. It's just beautiful. I was literally just fixated on the thickness of the, um, 
of the light. So he was illuminated somewhat from the back and that light on his sleeve and all through his, all through his hair, that sort of silhouette, that's what I was uh, trying to make it be about and everything else sort of was secondary. It's a series I did. So I've done, I think three or four trumpet players where I was trying to see how much I can simplify. And the, the more I was getting into them, every sec, every next one was simpler than the previous one, sort of, um, until I came to this, it's sort of a, I literally positioned him on that arch, uh, that, you know, did not exist in my reference. I, I, mm. I do have a good model, but I, I positioned him that way, but I continued the arch. And maybe that's uh, that's the theme that I will see in in most of my paintings. I just I tend to continue the lines through whether it's the line from you know from the figure, but I will get through in the background. It will continue somewhere. It it will continue with counterbalance. It would it would be mimicked somewhere else. I'm trying to play with composing through sort of those continuations and those repetitions, I think. That, yeah. that here's another arch. Yeah, that's that's my weightless series. Uh, my my youngest son was the model in it, but yeah. I oversized the, uh, you know, I created the pattern of the shadow and I created that arch of, you know. Across the top here. Across the top. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so this weightless, it's bigger than I would think. I mean, that just goes to show how loose this is. 24 by 36, that's not a small painting. Yeah, um, this one was created first. Um, I, I have another weightless number one, I think, was a smaller, I think, 16 by 20. But I just felt like with that stroke layering, I could go bigger. Um, that is something that I constantly, you know, and maybe you you have a better answer to when I love something on a smaller scale that I've done, mm -hmm. I then want to create it larger. And yet I'm thinking, but I've done something similar. What does it do for my small, you know, I don't want to create the same piece. They will never be the same. You know, the strokes are different. The uh, right. values are changed. The color combinations are different, but the pose is the same. So do you, you know, in your work, do you see a problem or do you overthink that? Where I totally people, overthink that. Right? I don't see a problem with it at all. But no, let me rephrase that. I don't overthink it. My mm -hmm. temperament won't allow it because I'm too easily bored and distracted. So once I'm done with something, I'm done with it. And I just, I'm too bored to do it twice. So it's not, I think there's... I always envy the artists that can take a take a particular subject and really flesh it out and really get a lot of mileage out of it because I feel like I'm just sort of doing one-offs every time. Just I get this subject done and I never approach it again. It's like this unwritten rule in my brain. Um mm -hmm. but it's only due to my temperament. It's not like a, it's I don't like I said I envy the artists that do it. I'd like to be able to do it. I'm just bored so i don't yeah. but it seems like a different reasoning than yours um 
So I would say, yeah. no, I think you should do it. If you, if you have the energy to do it, do it. I would, but I just don't have it in me. It's very, it's very, uh, infrequent that mm -hmm. I would take the same theme, but it would be one where it's almost like it's in my head too much. I keep thinking and thinking and thinking it's, and, and until I do it again, or I do it differently, or I do it on a lot, much larger, it will keep coming back. You almost have to release it out. Yeah. That's the, it doesn't happen that often. Um, well, um, this one, uh, I can see why you did it big. And I'm trying to imagine this is 36 inches wide. So this stroke right here is like six inches long. I mean, yeah. it, you've got some big, big strokes. And I mean, this thing is really abstract. The legs, if you cut off, if you cut the painting off in the middle here, you would have no idea those were legs if there were no context. That's how yeah. loose it is. But that's, you talked earlier about this desire to simplify and, and to see what you could get away with and how little information you could put in. And man, are you successful with that on this paint on all the paintings we've seen, I've seen of yours, but those legs, that's not, those aren't legs. <laughs> But they look like legs in context. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. I know it's funny because the legs and and even the strokes that you uh, showed, um, I reworked and re sort of massaged them and massaged them over and over. And the legs were actually positioned quite differently. I moved them, you know, uh, to not be as diagonal as they used to be. So uh, you know, I I want to show as if it's a stroke, but you know, sometimes it takes some stroke, you know, several attempts to, to do it. But with the legs, yeah, the legs first were actually a much more, uh, they were handled very similar to the, uh, to the top of his uh, body. Hmm. What made you and change your mind? Just did not work. Like my focus was sort of all over. I could not, I, I need the viewer to come in to the warmth of the of his back of the of the uh darkness of his head of the warm of his back um you can't see here but the thickness of the paint and the lights it's actually very thick and that's where i have some of the knife work as well i want to be there and i don't want to have the attention to the legs and the legs are just there for the movement i felt like when I had them more defined, I did not, I felt like he's flying rather than being in the, in the water. Hmm. I had to have the water wash off some of that Yeah. in, in my sort of thinking of it. Um, so they just, it was too much and I just, I just let it go. Well, it, it works go. beautifully. So yeah. are you familiar? I'm going to skip some because I want to get to other sections and I'm just going to kind of pan through. Are you familiar with Alyssa Monks or Monk? Is it Monks or Monk? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I love, love her work. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because she obviously does a lot of water and shower scenes, but it's so, it's interesting how differently they can be done because you are completely polar opposite in your approach. Both are amazing, but it, that's, uh, that's what yeah, makes you unique. Portraits. Her portraits behind the glass yeah. with those sort of, uh, 
you know, droplets of water and such. Uh, they're, they, you know, they're amazing. They're amazing. They're... I'm using water as an excuse to abstract. I yeah, think. you can and tell. So tell as... me about this one. This one is really, really interesting. It's so abstract. Except... It's absolutely abstract. And quite frankly, I... This is the one that I kind of let it let it go. Like I was not uh, overthinking this one too much. It was nobody in particular. It's uh, a reference um, that I have. Um, yes, I needed the face, but everything else was so loose. I almost didn't need the rest of it. Right. And what I let myself do is I let myself layer uh very thinly layer some oil and then i just took a bristle and i uh you know took some gamzol and i just literally just did this just flicked to create it this. yeah just like splashed some of the uh some of the thinner on her and that's what created those lines and then from there i just kind of started to like with with some bristles i started to just kind of move them mm -hmm. move so that's how it was nothing more than that. And then creating those patterns of dark around her. Um, and the water, the water is as abstract as I, you know, possibly could, could, could make it. I just needed that flow of the, you know, of the viewer's eye through it. I just needed this to happen. I didn't need, you know, in the in the reference I had um pretty defined uh uh dress on her, sort of semi-transparent dress on her. Um this is also the first time I am actually collaborated with a photographer in Russia hmm. who was able to to give me um uh a, a model um so i i basically explained what i needed and she she created some uh references where the model had a transparent dress and was somewhat submerged in the water oh i literally just needed some references from that so uh we collaborated yeah so i basically bought from her some uh, examples which is very much a unique thing that I tried because you know I you know I hire the model I um, I always take my references or I paint life when I can. With water, the problem is that I can never, you know, I cannot paint life because I can't be above the swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And then I tried so hard. I tried it with my kids. Um, so I take a lot of reference photos. There was this one idea that I had where I just could not get the reference photo right. And then I know her and her work for a long time. So we connected, you know, years ago and, uh, and she was able to uh, be in a space where she could give me that. All I needed was how do the transparent, uh, how does the transparent material behave in the water? Okay. Uh, that's what I basically grabbed. I grabbed that from from her. So, it's the uh, it's uh, an example of where I purchased literally references of transparent material floating floating in the water. But you've clearly uh, but gone that, so far from the reference. But then this this is what happened, you know. And and then I didn't even need the dress at all. 
Yeah. You know, because there's nothing there. Um, you know, uh, and, 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 and maybe this is one of the ones where I'm thinking, well, what if I make it larger and make it much more of a dress on her, but then she might lose some of that sort of abstraction that I liked so much. Oh, that'd so, be yeah. interesting to see that large. Yeah. You, because you, uh, yeah, that would be challenging. Yeah. Everything it, would have to be bigger. So much bigger. It's not going to be the same, but what if I tried something on a larger scale? This one is 16 by 20, I think. And, yeah, it uh, is. And it's um, named Mello two or Miro two. Yeah. Miro, because, uh, I was considering, um, they wanted specifically the water series for the, mm -hmm. uh, for the debut in Ireland. Uh, uh, Mera means mermaid in uh, uh, Irish. Okay. Okay. So I have her and I have the, you know, the previous one. Oh, and this, this is, is an beautiful. So this is just, a, it's a very small painting on copper. And I love, I love that surface. I've been experimenting with it for two years now. This and is I titled just, uh, Waiting, Waiting, 9 by 12, Oil on Copper. Go ahead. Sorry to cut you off there. No, it's, uh, again, it was it was a very simple composition. It's really nothing more than the value values exercise. It's not even that much of a, you know, uh, the color was not as interesting to me. That red got there sort of later because I just felt like it needed... Uh, it needed that that depth and that sort of uh, saturation, but otherwise, it was literally just a mostly burnt sienna, burnt umber, um, some I don't remember king's blue, and 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 that was pretty much it. And then I had some copper exposed. So I can, what I cannot show in the in the photos is when you move the copper around, then you could see the copper shining through a bit, yeah. especially in those lower areas. Um, and, and it changes as the light changes in the room, it changes quite a bit. Yeah, that must be beautiful. So do you seal the copper somehow to keep it from tarnishing to maintain that? Yes, quality? you have to tarnish it. Fortunately, you can use the same varnish if you have a good varnish for your oils. Uh, you can uh, seal with the same with the same varnish. You cannot wait too long. Wait a minute. So you, do you mean medium? You can seal with the same medium. No, with the with the varnish at the end. So okay. So once... you're saying you don't need a special varnish for the copper. No. So these these copper panels. Uh, uh, this one is from Raymar, and the other one is uh, Artifacts. So they hmm. both have very good panels where. They actually sandwich the copper on top of aluminum, like ICM panel, uh, so that it will never warp. Because hmm. I had old uh, copper panels where over time uh, I could see them having that tendency. These are archival and they are ready to paint. You don't have to do anything. I used to sand them, you know, the etching plates. I used to sand them before and etc. but... These are beautiful. They have that matte shine on them. You can paint right there on them and then um, just make sure that you varnish. You should not leave it for more than, and I don't know, three months, I would say. And I know we have to wait six months, but uh, uh, to, usually to varnish the painting. 
but these are these are done thinly so i don't i never really have thick paint on them they dry fast enough and you really have to varnish it if you don't varnish it over time my understanding is you're right it will oxidize and yeah. etc turn green you have to be careful you have to be careful not to scratch the copper ever so with your knife etc because you really do not want to do anything to the surface um i years ago i was even thinking well what if i use a little bit of an acid to give some of that tarnished look etc and then but i'm very very careful with that archival sort of preservation right and so i've done a lot of research and no you, you should not do anything to copper not to compromise the copper because you just never know over time what's yeah. going to happen this one you varnish it it will stay like that for for okay. centuries i mean rembrandt rembrandt used copper or the right and i've read a long time ago when i was in school that copper has some sort of a chemical bond to oil paint that is more archival than any other surface. So apparently a lot of 17th century paintings are like look like they were painted yesterday when they were painted on copper. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. which is pretty awesome. Um, the I never try any other metal. I, I know some artists are trying to to work on other metals and I, I only know of this with copper. You're yeah. right. Um, I just, I, I don't want to be, I want to be safe. Yeah, that's smart. So, um, I'm sure you're familiar with Gamsol or Gamvar varnish? Yes. Okay. So apparently yeah. you can do that as soon as it's dry to the touch is what I hear. That's what I use. That, yeah. Um, oh, this is gorgeous too. So another water one with a man in saunter. Yeah, that's my older son i really just tried to express a feeling i mean like to me it wasn't about it wasn't about a realistic representation of a body in the water um i mean yes it has to look as such but for me it was just that feeling of being enveloped in it and being you know, and, and the current kind of taking you somewhere. I mean, that's, I think, where I, I'm so drawn to the water. I don't really, I don't care of painting a model in the water. Mm -hmm. That's the least I'm thinking about. I am thinking about sort of that feeling of the touch of the water on the body. Like That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the feel of being in that space and maybe that's a metaphor for just 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 floating with it just just being you know and 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 and, and the water is such a satisfying thing to paint because it can be so many different things mm -hmm. and it can be a stroke can be interpreted in so many different ways and that's i think that that's that's the fascination yeah, so I've been staring as you've been talking at weightless. This is in the, um, in uh, Reinhardt, Reinhardt, Fine Art, Charleston. Yes. Yeah. Okay, in that section of your website, and it's called Weightless Number Three. And is this one of your kids as well? No, it's a, it's another uh, teenager okay. that I bought. This yeah, so is one there. of my favorites, by the way, of yours. And you know, you said 
you said that you're not only thinking about, you're not concerned about painting a person or painting an object. And I believe you, but you clearly have very strong academic skills because the drawing, your drawings are very, very convincing and very accurate. They, they seem very accurate to me. So, so that might be second on your priority list, but clearly there's something there. I mean, you're, you you are clearly concerned about using your drawing skills in these paintings. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So maybe let me rephrase it. I want to, I want it to be done right. Yeah. And I want the body to be the body and I want to, but, but it's for the purposes of making someone believe there is a body in the water. Right. And, and right. Um, I don't want to have an academic, you know, like in my art school, we had so many just academic poses that could be beautifully done or, you know, drawings of plaster casts forever. Um, they're beautifully done, but they don't give me the feeling. And here it's the body that is sort of enveloped with something else and, and, and extended to become um, an, an, an excuse to an excuse to give you some emotion that I was trying to feel, I guess is what I'm trying to use figurative works for. Okay. So is it fair to say, <clears throat> is it fair to say that you're, you're not showing off your academic skills because they're only there as a tool in, in order to, in, in order to create the expression and emotion and movement that you want in the painting, but nothing more. I need to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I say that because, uh, you know, I have to be honest with you. Like, sometimes I feel like maybe I'm showing off, like, you know, m maybe, maybe I need to loosen up a little bit and not just show the constantly feel like I need to prove to the world how well I can draw. Right. Um, okay. You know, so I admire this, like, and one of the questions I had for you earlier was, um, how can you be so brave? <laughs> because some of these paintings are so unbelievably loose and unfinished. And I, it, it takes courage to just say, I'm done and walk away. Right. And not okay. because they're not beautiful, but because because I, for me personally, I, I feel like I would have be tempted to be like, okay, but what if I could make it better? What if, what if? And so it takes courage to walk away and go, no, now it's done. I think it does. So maybe for you, it's not, maybe it's just easy for you. I don't know. It, no, maybe... no, 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 no. Um, I, 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 I think I completely understand what you're saying. And there were so there are some paintings where that's where I overworked them. Yeah. I'm trying to be, at least I'm trying to be very clear as what, what is my idea for the painting? And if I accomplish that idea, then I am trying to make myself separate. And quite frankly, sometimes I'm so tired and so fed up with it that I have to let it dry and let it be and, and move on to some other you know, to some other painting. So sometimes I stop, you know, one, when I am clear as to, I accomplish that. Yes, I do not, you know, 
Well, let me, but I guess sometimes, sometimes I overwork because I don't step away fast enough hmm. and then it becomes a portrait. I'm trying to not make it a portrait because I can spend literally days and days and days on just a head. Even if it's a small head, I can, I can refine it to a point of, and, and then and then my painting didn't accomplish anything with that, yeah. I guess. You know, the one thing about doing these podcasts, Olga, is that I, like, I learned, have been learning so much. I did not anticipate this, which, which uh, maybe, uh, maybe says something about my arrogance or something. I don't know. But I've learned a ton from all these artists. And what I'm learning from you is something that I is that there's something that I believed up until now that I've totally, I totally think I've been wrong all this time. And that is Nelson Shanks said once, at least I've been told, I didn't hear him say it, but I've been told Nelson Shanks said that if a painting is overworked, you haven't worked it enough. Yeah. And then I hear you say, and I would always tell my students that because the way I paint, that's true, right? Because it is, it really is true. And it meant something to me because I paint in many, many layers, trying to find the, the, what I'm looking for. And, but, but I'm, what I'm seeing is that that is only true for me and Nelson Shanks and other painters like us who, who are after what we're after, because with you, you absolutely could overwork a painting because you're after something completely different. And if once you cover that underpainting, like on this one here, which is, uh, let me get, this is called um, Respite, and it's 18 by 36. Once you, once you cover up that umber in the background, now you're toast, right? Now you've got a whole different painting, right? So yeah, I mean, so you can overwork things. Oh, I stand corrected. Now I've got to tell all my students that I've been lying to them all this time. So thanks for that, Olga. <laughs> Appreciate it. And there is so many, I mean, there's so many ways of, you know, creating that there is no, there is no right or wrong. No, it just, there's not. If, sometimes I just need that movement through that stroke. And if I'm looking at the background and doesn't giving it, it's, it doesn't give it to me. I have to, I have to go with that gut feel, I guess. Um, and, and not. But then again, you know, you're talking about your paintings. When I look at my paintings, I think, oh, but I, I, I want to change this. I want to change this. I want to change that as well. I think we're much more critical about, about our work. Well, yeah, you know, I'm sure that's true. Yeah, that's it's, the curse of the I, artist, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I think I would change. I would change. I would change. But, but the thing is that I... I I wouldn't because it would be a different, a completely different painting. Um, and if I, in my head, it's almost like I'm telling the students, you have to almost write down on a piece of paper and stick it somewhere. My idea up front for this painting is this, is this, it is this light shape that I was drawn to. What is it that I was drawn to? And then maybe everything else is secondary. And then maybe we're putting too much pressure on ourselves trying to make everything perfect. Like what is perfect? I don't know. Um, when I try to chase that, I know that I will work on a small painting for for so long, overwork it so much, and then it would it would 
just never bring back what I wanted to convey, I think. Also, another another thing. So one is we're looking at our own paintings with a much more critical eye. But then two, um, I think that uh, I think that when we look at an artist's work or, or you know, of a, a work of a particular artist, we don't realize we're looking at a subsection only of what he created and what he threw away or what he did not put up or did not show on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that was one of the biggest things that I, you know, even took from Jeremy and those Tuesday nights, because I've seen some paintings that are never, you know, never published because they're smaller sketches or, or I've seen him working on a really small head for, for three hours, you know, four hours or whatever we had there just the same way as he would do on a lodger. It's just, we, we don't see, we don't, we don't see everything, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I don't see your paintings that you are maybe not proud of and just toss away. Oh, heck no. Your, I don't want the world to see that garbage. <laughs> well, see, me, I see what you want me to see, right. you know? I, I see what I love. And then, you know, and then my idea of you is maybe different than your idea of you because you, you create so much more than, I create so much more than this. You know, I have, yeah. I have in my studio where they just accumulate because I haven't finished this, I haven't finished this. I'm not, if I'm not excited about it, I just know that it's not going to be good and I just put it aside and, and, and it's hours and hours. I mean, probably months at this point of work that is just sitting there and waiting to be maybe reworked. Right. So, yeah. You know, what just occurred to me as you're talking. So my son, his name is Chase, Chase Hine, Wilder Nerds is he's got a website called Wilder Nerds. He's a photographer, nature photographer. He's very talented, but he's, you know, he'll come home with hundreds of photos and then only finish four or five of them. And uh, I remember when he was younger being like, Chase, that's how it works, right? You take, you take yeah. as many as you can, as best you can. And then what makes you an artist is that you edit and you figure out what is good and what isn't good. And you throw out the garbage and you keep the good stuff. And it just occurred to me as you're talking, why don't artists give themselves that, that space or give themselves that, that, you know, um, a break, you know, cause you know, we throw out so many paintings, like a photographer throws out photos and then we let it haunt us. Like, well, that's part of who we are too, but maybe it's what, maybe it's the editing that is the artist, the stuff that you're willing to show is the stuff that you approve of. Therefore that is your art, right? Exactly. Maybe that's probably I, just an excuse, I, I, just a little oh. ego massage for, for me. <laughs> No, it's it's something that I've been also kind of thinking thinking about that you know people that I love I would love to see everything they do but that's you know impossible unless you are on very close terms with somebody but also it it makes us human we cannot we're not produce we're not production mill mm -hmm. we're not we are we are human and maybe we're even more human in some ways we're much, you know, we're sensitive to such little nuances 
you know, of a sudden, you know, color temperature shift. Like, if you think about how much is in our head, how much is moving us, right? And and it's only natural that we will filter, you know, and 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 maybe we should take it as I created something that I will filter out. It will, you know, put aside. But it was an exercise that, at least I'm thinking, you know, some of those exercises and some of those um, experiential ones with abstraction and and splashing the, you know, it came back. It came back to, for example, to that painting. You know, it seems like it's still somewhere in your head, you know, whatever you've done. Like maybe it's not a waste of time, I guess I'm trying to say it's it's sort of it's a little like stepping stone to something, maybe, yeah, you know as sad as it is to see some of those paintings just sitting there, I mean, how many panels are in i mean just 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 to take back and and reuse those panels would be awesome, but you you don't because that's gonna be you know uh not archival enough, I think, but it just sits there and it's just like that constant reminder that I've done that and maybe it's okay and maybe mm-hmm. it's okay to to have a throwaway moment and or day or week of releasing something i, mean, I don't know yeah yeah i, I like I, that I idea that, tangent but 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 i think that Everybody, I mean, if there are some students that are listening right now, they they should know that sort of until we die, we will be this critical, and we would be throwing away things and 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 and, and writing and writing that. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite painters is Waterhouse, and I have every book I can find on his work, and I can only find two paintings that look amateur from, from his youth. Um, and it's obvious there's no way he was born painting like that. Right. <laughs> so he's obviously thrown away a lot of work and hid it from the world. And that's the case for many, many dead artists that we just can't find any of their garbage. There's no way they came out of the womb, a sergeant or a Michelangelo or a Rembrandt, you know, um, they they edit right they they throw away the bad and they put the good out there for the world to see and to judge them by like photographers do so yeah yeah it's interesting but i think also also you know i'm thinking what is that judgment because you know sometimes you have uh and i know you you work with the collectors directly but like let's say in my in my galleries i would have side by side two paintings one is my absolute favorite the other one is not quite about the same price range but the collector falls in love with this oh doesn't that drive you crazy (laughs) no but that that makes me think that you know there is something we express there still we express there and and by the way i would never even offer a gallery a painting that i don't like so it's not that pile that I'm talking about. Right. But in general, like in terms of in terms of that sort of judgment, we are the strongest judges of our own work. And uh and 
as long, you know, but we, we let that emotion out and then that connects with somebody or it doesn't connect. It might be a beautifully done painting that doesn't quite find that viewer. Mm -hmm. So, so mm -hmm. what, what basis are we judging on? Right. I don't well, the reason it drives me crazy is because it, I have to, I have to accept the fact that I'm in a career where I can't control the outcome because we can only do our best. And then we put our work out there and this, the clients, um, are not going to necessarily think your best work in your mind is your best work. So, and, and what that means is in my mind is that we don't really know when we're doing our best work from their perspective. So there's that mystery there. So you just got to put out everything you're willing to put out there and just be like, I, you know, well, I guess at this point they're the judge, you know, even though you know your best work. Um, it'd be, in other words, it'd be nice to be able to paint a painting and go, that is a winner. That one's going to sell and just know it. <laughs> it might be the one that never sells or that hangs on a wall for six months. You just Absolutely. never know. Yeah. It's very unpredictable. I'm, uh, I'm wondering you, you mentioned Waterhouse and, uh, but it's interesting because when I look at your work, I, oh, don't, I don't paint see anything him, like him, <laughs> right? Like you and what, what do you feel you're taking from him or what are you inspired? Oh, nothing. In I'm his... not taking anything from him. I mean, a lot of the artists that I admire, I don't borrow from. Um, not just... borrow, but like, what did you learn? What did you learn from him that helped you? Um... Well, this is really about you. I'll answer this briefly, <laughs> but, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm flattered that you asked, but I'll just answer briefly. I, what I admire of course is his academic ability, but what I really admire and that I'd like to take from him and then I'm, I'm that I'm, I'm forever working toward is just his ability to design a narrative, a sophisticated narrative. It's just that multi-figure painting to me is this, uh, it's this unreachable destination. It's so unbelievably difficult. Um, and so when I see people like him, who've, who seem to have, seems to reach there in every painting, at least every painting he showed to us. Um, it's just, I have so much admiration for that. So that's really it. Composing multi-figure paintings in, in a really sophisticated way. So his painting style, like how he applies paint, absolutely love it. But I'm more Rembrandt. I'm, I, I'm yes. more influenced by the Rembrandt in that direction. So, so that brings up a question for you though. Um, what are some, who, and what are some of your influences? Oh my gosh. I know that's a hard a question. Long, uh, no, it's, it's, it's an easy question. It's just a long, it might be a, um, a long answer because, uh, so there is a set of artists of the past, right. That you grew up with that you sort of, you wanted to be like, and, and for me then it was always that. 19th end of 19th century uh titans right i mean repin of course Ilya repin for, oh my gosh yeah 
clubs and then Sirov was one of his uh, students and then you had Nikolai Feshin who was a completely different also a student of Repin uh, but took it to that uh, thickness of the abstraction to a point that nobody and Malavin I guess uh, uh, well so so that sort of cluster of them just I I love I was in a huge uh, I was able to be in Moscow for that huge re retrospective of Repin that they had, like three stories. I don't remember how many uh, works they had, and it was just unbelievable experience. And the thickness of the stroke and the uh, the, the ability to create those multi-figure compositions on that large scale. Uh, he's painting, he has a painting of, uh, 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 Ivan the Terrible with his son. And oh my son gosh, that painting sort of, is unbelievable. <laughs> you you are traumatized just standing in front of it. Unfortunately, and, and I was I saw it several times in person, and it's it's unbelievable what he, textures and and such. And uh, unfortunately, it's been in the restoration for year for for a long time because somebody. Um, either stabbed it or oh my gosh I have to tell you how much people you know get moved they can even actually destroy a painting but um so 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 it's them and then Leviton is one of our uh, best landscape artists um uh Vrubil to a point uh and then and then I discovered obviously Sargent obviously Zorn Saroya Saroya and oh, his yeah. handling of water his handling of water and the sand and the sun drenched sort of that Spanish landscape. Nobody and nobody composes like him. Or that fluent line that goes through forms, right? I would say that is my biggest that that just shocked me, you know, and uh, and 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 the paintings are so vibrant still after all these years of uh, so I, you know, and there and there's so many more. I mean, of course, Rembrandt. Of course, he's. It's just just that subtleties of that light and how how his shadows, his 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 nothingness, his nothingness in his paintings mm -hmm. is so powerful, right? It's so simple. It's so flat and transparent and receding, and then you have that light that just. I don't know how it's possible to achieve. I think we will forever try and <laughs> try to do that. Um, so I would say those, you know, those are probably for, you know, if I'm talking the artists of the past. And then I have the whole slew of uh, artists that I constantly admire. I mean, I already said Jeremy, especially his his earlier works. His earlier, more fluid, sort of loose nudes, and you know, and and regardless of what you think of the subject matter, the it, it that emotional sort of quietness of those of those pieces was just it's just unbelievable, and how subtle, you know, how subtle that, that the way he shapes those forms are. You know, in, in those lights, I, I was I was so drawn to his work, but then uh, Julio Reyes, and I'm probably butchering the names now. You know, um, 
and and again that subtlety and his his layering of colors side by side and maybe that's what tempera does no you know in terms of uh, i don't know tempera well i know it dries fast so that's probably why yeah he just layers them and and he creates it using you know colors that i would never even think you know to put together and that subtlety of them and then again i'm gonna butcher but dennis sarajin sarazin sarajin oh i'm not familiar he uh so he's also at arcadia he's a ukrainian artist who um who has beautiful uh very uh very often multi-figure compositions uh where there are a lot of male uh semi-nudes or male sort of muscles and, and and shapes that he just kind of weaves together and and the way what i admire in him is something that i'm trying to see if i can even i guess to step back we're so trained academically that we are like you were saying when we shape a body we shape the form we are using our background and he breaks that mm -hmm. so he's not scared to break it and to simplify it and to simplify that line and and make it almost uh posterized in a way uh but but everything together we've to woven together it gives me that feeling of almost a tapestry through strokes and shapes and such so i'm i'm very much drawn i'm very much drawn to him um there are a lot of uh you know there are a lot of photographers there's a well and mia bergeron i think you already mentioned zoe frank mm -hmm. her compositions very interesting what she's doing with those even those geometric shapes and and layering them and 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 such uh um and i and i know that i'm gonna you know this is just scratching the surface at this point i have like the whole list of them mm -hmm. that i sometimes give yeah, students, I know what you mean. but um, you know and i i uh and in terms of the photographers there's a photographer andrea kiss who composes with very very simple cropped sort of uh objects or bodies where it could be nothing more than um a, a collar with some kind of safety pin in it like there's something so soft and sensitive and so feminine and so quiet like a very very quiet sort of uh photograph and i think it's a uh, jefferson Heyman. i think is another photographer who kind of has that it's almost like it's a photo of a memory that I never had. Hmm. And it resonates. And I think it resonates with me trying to create some of those quieter, smaller pieces. It's not that I am. It's that mood of softness and some sort of subtle emotion through very, very little means you know that's that's what i'm that's what i'm very uh, very much attracted to or but then you have uh 
there is a artist, I believe she, maybe she's Spanish, but she lives in Amsterdam, Lita Cabellut, who has this massive paintings where she drops this paint and she creates those, you know, those, 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 uh, costumed almost infantas and, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a, uh, party of, uh, of reds and blacks and, 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 and abstraction. And yet it's a very real, real bodies that I see. So hmm. I haven't heard of her either. I will look her up. Yeah. Completely different from me, but, hmm. but Bernini sculptures, I forgot about Bernini when I was talking about my. Oh, I, and, yeah. And, He's incredible. Yeah. I mean, just, 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 how can you sculpt marble where the fingers get into the skin, you know, just, just the softness of the body is under your fingertips and, and, and in, in indented skin, pulsating skin in marble. Uh, and, and, and it works in 3d. I just, I am. Well, that's quite a list. Just like I would say all but maybe two of those are on my list of people I'd like to interview. Uh, the living ones, of course. Well, I'd love to yeah. interview dead ones too, but I don't see that happening. <laughs> my list is much longer, but I just, yeah. I'm not prepared with the yeah. whole. I, but then the other but, two but, I'm not hey, familiar with. I'll have to look them up. There's every day somebody that I, you know, we are all in a way uh, product, not product, uh, students of Richard Schmidt. Yeah. We're all. I, I love, I love, I love the approach of Sherry McGraw. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever seen the painting, but the way she teaches and the way she layers her stroke, I can look at that forever. Or the way she layers the line in her drawing. Yeah. 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 She's very gifted. So, you know, I said in the beginning of the conversation that I can't see your influences, but now that you've mentioned a few artists, I guess I can now. I, if I were to pick two of the ones you listed, I would say Richard Schmidt and Soroya are two influences you have. Yeah, because I can definitely see Soroya in your work and I hadn't picked it out, which is good. I mean, you've clearly separated yourself and you have your own authentic look to your painting and quality to your painting that's that's very much you you which is really congratulations for get for finding that that's a really wonderful thing to find so we're getting close to um 90 minutes so i want to ask you two final questions one of them might take a minute but i want it first question is what is your daily schedule like i mean from day to day as a painter Uh, it, okay. Um, so I try to go to the easel, uh, pretty much as soon as I drop the kids off at school, if I need to. So I would say eight 30, uh, and then I try to have a day of painting interrupted by taking the kids from school, you know, feeding them or whatever the days that I don't have them that those are the days that I can really, I don't have the schedule. I literally can just go and, and, and create. And I used to create until like 3am. Wow. And then I realized, 
But I, then I realized how much I actually was destroying because I wasn't thinking straight at mm. night. So I don't, I don't quite do that anymore. So I, uh, yeah. So I, I, I try just to be there all the time. But then you have to do your shipping, right? You mm -hmm. have to do your conversations with the gallerists. You have to do, uh, you know, model shooting if you have a model. If I don't do a live model or, or logistics. And that's where I start to get antsy because I don't feel like I'm working. Even though it's work, I feel like those are not the hours of the easel. And I start to get aggravated because I just wasted all that time. Uh, there are times, and again, we're all human. There are times when I find myself vacuuming, doing everything I can possibly do because I'm stuck on a painting and I'm trying to find excuses as to, I need to do this, I need to do that. When it's actually me trying to, trying to not procrastinate, like think it through, think through the you know the painting without being at you know in front of it um do you ever so, find yourself it just intimidated just too intimidated to get go up to the canvas and so you procrastinate sometimes yes yeah yeah if i were to be oh uh, yeah i mean we're honest here yes sometimes sometimes i i i don't quite know where to go from there and sometimes i wish and I know you do that for larger paintings, probably uh, all the studies and and trying to find it first, doing all that groundwork. Sometimes I'm so excited about some project where I just go right in and I did not think through some of the pieces. I wish I did. And then I need to step back and say, look, I didn't think that through. I mm. didn't think it through. And some thinking I have to do outside of outside of actually being there. So it's a backwards process where I should have done all the thumbnails and such. And instead I, you know, I, I jumped right in and, uh, yeah, I've done that many times. Yeah. So do you always enjoy it when you're painting? No, no. Um, and I tell myself, this is a, this is a job. This is a, it, well, it's more than a job. It's, it's a, you have to do, you have to do it no matter what. I, I, I remind myself how I was in the corporate world where I don't want to do that project or I don't want to have that meeting with a client, but you have to, because you have to. So you have to, sometimes you just have to push yourself, put yourself together and just paint. I actually love deadlines. Ironically, mm. I love deadlines because I know I have the deadline and I have to push through it. Yeah. So yeah, there are times when I love it, absolutely love it. And you're in that space and you know, this is why, this is what I'm meant to do. But unfortunately, there are, there are times when you borderline hate it. <laughs> Go ahead. You said that. So isn't that interesting? Because earlier you said that you, well, you said a couple things. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, you said if you can't paint because you're doing things like sending paintings, paying bills, whatever, 
it frustrates you and gets you anxious. And then you also said earlier that you just, you might not have put it this way, but this is how I took it. You just live to paint. This was way back in the beginning of the conversation when you were, weren't able to paint full time. And yet yeah. sometimes you just hate it. And I find that interesting because I'm the same way. Like, and I could go, if I go a week without painting because I'm so busy with business stuff, I get yes. so grumpy. And then once I get to the easel, I'm like, oh, I don't want to be doing this. So there's always this dichotomy where you're like, you got one side of you that's like, this is so much work. I'd rather be doing something else. But then when you're doing something else, like, no, I'd rather be doing that. You almost have to take that break. So maybe that's what it is, because sometimes when you have that break and then I'm dying to go there, I'm yeah. dying to get right. And you know, you're going to create now, but, um, isn't it the same with anything? I love my dogs, but I hate my dogs sometimes. I mean, I, <laughs> I love my kids, but sometimes, right? That's a good you know? point. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's, 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 it's no matter what, because, because we feel strongly about it and it has to be right and it has to be beautiful. And it's, it's all that pressure that we put on, on it and, and maybe we just kind of like with the kids, it just has to evolve and you just have to let it breathe. And Yeah. You know, know, another analogy that comes to mind is my wife, it loves chicken wings. She grew up in Rochester, New York, near Buffalo, sort of near Buffalo. <laughs> so yeah. um, she loves chicken wings, but she is a total snob with chicken wings. She has to have just the right chicken wing. Everything else is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> So it's funny, like she loves it so much that she hates it. See, I'm like, if you, I think if I love chicken wings, I would want all chicken wings. No, that's not how it works. It's got to be just the right chicken wing. And I kind of feel that way about my paintings. It's I love painting because I love that that high you get when everything is in sync and everything is going right. Right. But that's not always going to happen. So so you end up battling 80% of the time to get to that 20% of the time where you're yeah. feeling a high, you know, but yeah. that's reality. Yeah. That's life, right? But that's, again, you are so strongly invested in, in you will go through these cycles, mm -hmm. but it's all a strong emotion. You're never indifferent. You're never just creating to, to create or to sell or it's not about that at all i mean how many average paintings did you toss away yeah you could sell them but you know it's your it's your brand it's your <laughs> name it's mm -hmm. your name on it there's mm -hmm. no way yeah it's true okay so my last question is um if um if you're speaking to students or aspiring artists What's a one piece of advice you would give them that you wish you had when you were young? When I'm young, um, maybe not even young, just an aspiring artist. What advice would you give an aspiring artist? I think that you want to do it because you want it badly enough. If you want it just as a career, there are plenty of careers that are much easier. You, you know, if you, you have to really know that you are 
want to do it. And if you didn't get that feeling yet, you have to get that feeling. I feel like that is an important feeling because without it, I don't think there is a way to succeed in this job or not job, uh, this vacation, this, this, this calling, mm -hmm. like you have to have this call. It's not because you have the skill. I know so many, and in my art school, there were, uh, it's not, it's not just the skill. You have to have something to say. You have to have something to, you have to portray that emotion. It's not about just, I can create a beautiful figure and therefore I will be an artist creating that beautiful figure because and at some point, you know, you will show your skill to the world and, and, and I, but it has to be, I feel, I, I feel it has to be more. It has to be that sort of inner voice in you saying, I have to, I have to do it. Because even if you want to be in art, there are other vacations in art. You know, you could be a gallerist, you could be something else. Maybe as a student, you want to have exposure to everything first. You want to go work in a gallery for, go work with a dealer for, like, try, try many things maybe first to know that this is, this is it. Because you are going to, dedicate your life you know it's not going to be an average life <laughs> mm -hmm. and your whole family is going to be you know uh, affected by you how many artists do we have who decide not to even have kids right because they're so you know it 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 it, it demands so much more of a person than any other what I call normal jobs. So I just want you to be sure you are. And also it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's dedicated hours and hours and hours and hours. If you think you're going to go to a workshop and be all, you know, get a skill there. No, it it's, you're going to spend hours and hours and hours of working and, 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 and finding who you are and finding that uniqueness that is yours that you have to express. So I think maybe that, and then also, um, yeah. And also just know that everybody, and you can see from me, like everybody has a different path and there is no right path and there is no right age yeah. maybe, or that's what I'm telling myself. It's, no, it's when, you. when you got that, when you got that feeling, that gut feel that you have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, Olga, it was a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a real honor to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.